I'm also following Micron because I think that's the most important stock in the world, <laughs> I tell you, for markets. And uh, people just don't even think about that. If you can figure out how Micron's doing, you know how everything else is doing. And if you know how everything else is doing, and these are the main drivers of the market, then you know how the market's going to do. <laughs> Welcome back to Investing Experts Podcast. I'm your host for today, Rina Sherbel, and I'm excited to bring you my conversation today with Chaim Siegel of Fed Trader. That's an investing group on Seeking Alpha. This conversation was recorded on April 20th, and we get into why he thinks the Fed needs more humility. And as the name may suggest, Fed Trader, we get into a conversation about the markets and the Fed. Chaim dives deep into Tesla and why Micron is the most important stock in the world. We get into NVIDIA and AI and the comparisons he sees there to the dot-com phase. Check out Fed Trader on Seeking Alpha. Just type in Fed Trader. Any stocks, as always, put in their ticker on Seeking Alpha. You'll see all the news and analysis and factor grades and quant ratings that Steve Kress gave such a deep dive into last week. So many great episodes recently. Another one dropped yesterday. So without further ado, please enjoy my conversation with Chaim Siegel from Fed Trader. Chaim, welcome to Investing Experts Podcast. Super happy to have you on the show. Oh, thank you, Rena. So share with the Seeking Alpha audience and those listening that aren't yet the Seeking Alpha audience about your approach to the markets, how long you've been looking at the markets, kind of contextualize um, what your role is in terms of investing analysis. So I'll, I'll let in let out some inside information. I just turned 50 year, recently. So I've been following the markets, I think, since I was 15, um, literally. I remember doing uh, uh, AT&T Corporate Challenge, which I picked uh, Ford because they were buying Jaguar and I knew nothing. And then I went to college uh, f with a finance degree and I had no idea what I was going to do after that. But I really like stocks and my grandfather gave me some money early on and I I don't know what you say, I centupled it <laughs> over the course of a few years. And actually that portfolio helped me land my first really good job, which was on the 72nd floor in, in the World Trade Center for Morgan Stanley. It was Dean Witter Intercapital at the time. It was like a multi-billion or maybe multi-billion dollar fund and Morgan Stanley bought it. And so I worked there for five years and I was an analyst there and got really good training. Uh, there. Um, and that was kind of in the dot-com boom, 90s. Um, so I learned a lot about, you know, the markets and tech stocks and um, and how to build a model and what to look for in stocks and really what drives stocks and market markets. And so, uh, you know, I have a lot more gray hairs than then, but I really, I really feel like, you know, having a chat on Seeking Alpha is pretty amazing because when I'm constantly asked and tested and basically just asked for direction and guidance, then I, I realize I have so much in my uh, experience that just comes out and it's really rewarding to me to share all of that. And I call it keeping it simple, which is, you know, there's a lot of noise out there. And sometimes the market is just much more simple to look at than you think. And stocks are much more simple to look at than you think. And I've, I've had, you know, I've worked with um, some of the best traders out there, famous traders. I worked for Steve Cohen a couple of times of uh, SAC or uh, 0.72. 
Uh, I worked for a fund that was uh, funded by George Soros. So I worked with some, uh, and the manager there was Jeff Feinberg. He was a superstar. And I worked with other guys. I had clients that I can't talk about, but they're famous guys that were in the press. And uh, so I, I think the thing I realized from all of them is simplicity is king. That the guys who try to make things too complicated are basically, uh, you know, are, are not doing it. And the real leaders and the guys, you know, managing billions are the guys that just say, you know, the market's up. I think it's going up. The market's down. I think it's going down. And they have good reasoning behind it, but they end up knowing how to, you know, boil things down to simplicity. And even in, in stock analysis, where I'm, I'm just keyed in and my subscribers know it and they learn a lot from me. And then I realize that, you know, sometimes they're coming back to me and say, hi, I'm, you know, doesn't this look good? And they're just repeating back to me what something I've instilled in them over months and years. Um, and I, I think stocks are really driven just by earnings. EPS times PE, keeping it simple. PE times EPS gives you a stock price potential. And if you can map out a simple model, earnings model, you can see where stocks are going. So I would say, you know, my process is top down and bottoms up. Um, and, you know, just trying to identify what the changes are and what the major drivers are to the market and, and in, in a, like a recurring basis, meaning I'm looking for the same things all the time, earnings, technical trend, action, um, fundamentals, what the Fed's doing, and, uh, you know, having a simple model, just keeping my arms around those same things all the time. Having an investing group called Fed Trader, I think that there's a lot to talk about now in terms of how you're looking at the market, combining the Fed picture with the mm -hmm. more, you know, stock focused picture. And I think the point that you made about the community at Seeking Alpha and in yeah. terms of what that conversation brings is such an important point. And one of the things that has really um, helped me in my investing journey and also helped me understand the importance of sharing opinions about investing and where that can come to. And I think what's great about these conversations is it opens up the dialogue. And then I think it also includes a lot of people in the conversation that wouldn't otherwise be included. Um, and I think that's what's so great about these conversations and, and being open. So with that in mind, can you share with investors how you're looking at the market? We've had some uh, analysts on talking about where they think the Fed's going to go and how they think that's going to affect the market. How are how are you looking at that? <laughs> well, uh, you know, I think my job of Fed following is basically Fed bashing, <laughs> which is isn't so nice, but uh, they forgive me. You know, <laughs> it's, it's part of the business. But, um, you know, I think this recent Fed is a little less humble than past Feds. You know, and and, uh, you know, like they're so sure of themselves and everything they say, but past feds have always said our estimates are always wrong. And, you know, this is our, you know, what we think now, but, it, you know, and it can change and we can be wrong. But this one, this fed is a little less humble and uh, they follow the markets less. In fact, uh, Kashkari was uh, saying, you know, we're going to play a game of chicken with the market. And, you know, that's not the way it's supposed to be. I think the, the, the Fed and the market should work together. In fact, 
the Fed's mechanism after following them for 20, 30 years is really just to try to move the market. And so if they can get if, if there's a recession and they can get the market up, then business leaders will uh, start to think, hey, you know, maybe things are good out there. Maybe we should order more, hire more people. And then it cycles. And if the and if the economy is too hot, then the Fed tries to slow the market, literally. I mean, their main got, uh, you know, it's the tail wagging the dog. Their main thing is to try to get the market up or to get the market down to sway business leader opinion. And that cycles things both ways. So I, I think it's this Fed uh, trying to go at odds with the market and not looking at the Fed funds futures and not respecting that and not respecting what the main market calls are out there. They listen to economists that have basically been wrong, but they won't listen to the market, which is very right. And I think any player in the market, you know, that tries to arm wrestle the market is going to end up, you know, getting run over. You have to respect markets. You have to respect direction. You have to try to understand what the market's saying, even if you disagree with it, you know, the market can be wrong quote wrong for much longer than people can remain solvent so you want to try to figure out what the market's thinking and i think the fed's avoided to do that so the fed uh says you know they need to be tough but the fed fund futures by the cme is saying that they expect one more rate hike and then after that a couple of more rate cuts later in the year which is a little bit strange so it's they're saying that the fed's next hike is too much basically and they're going to need to start cutting after that so, but that's like what everybody looks at. I'll tell you what I look at. And um, I think this is so, so key. You know, they're trying to um, uh, quell inflation or slow it down, but really the stock market is also based on prices. And so inflation is also good for, good for the stock market. So it's not just um, in isolation, is the Fed going to raise or lower? It's What's inflation doing and is the Fed going to cause a recession? If the Fed's not going to cause a hard recession, then the market can hold up. And so far, most of the bears, which has been both, most of the market, have been wrong saying that, you know, there's going to be a deep recession. And so far, there hasn't. I mean, I was showing subscribers from the end of last year, and it's when I started getting bullish. Um, I was bearish last year. I, I, I just pointed out to them that jobless claims are strong. GDP keeps printing positive numbers like a positive two and three. I said, that's, that's not a recession. Recession is negative numbers. So nobody can tell me that we're in a recession or we're going into a recession until you start seeing negative prints. Then, then maybe I buy into it. So I just thought everybody was off base. And so if the Fed isn't going to cause a major recession, then the market's okay. And if the Fed allows inflation to run, that's not a bad thing for the market. You know, the market's prices. So if inflation, you know, and prices run, that really is good for stock market and Bitcoin and maybe oil or whatever it is. So I think everything needs to be in uh, judge relatively and not just in isolation like uh, the media wants you to focus on. Mm -hmm. So what do you think that means in terms of the rate cuts throughout the year? Do you feel like they're going to keep their word? So, well, the, the Fed is not admitted to wanting to pivot and wanting to cut rates. But <laughs> there was this period of two weeks where Fed Chair Powell went from like 
expecting 25 basis points, they're expecting 50 basis points, they're expecting zero basis points, they're expecting 25 basis points, and it just made the market nuts. And it's it caused a couple of bank failures. When he said he expected 50 basis point raise, a couple of days later, you had some bank failures. So um, I don't think they have a really good uh, grasp of how powerful they are right now and uh, how a little bit fragile the market is. So I think, um, and they even are now talking, um, you know, aggressively, even after we just had a mini bank crisis that they're talking about, no, it's past and everything's fine. Where Warren Buffett says, no, it's not fine. You know, there's more risk, there's more bank risk out there. So this all goes into my thinking that the Fed's not humble enough, they're not listening enough. And so, um, and I've called this out um, last year, I said when the Fed was talking, inflation was transitory and they weren't raising rates and they said, no way, no how, we're not thinking about, thinking about, thinking about, thinking about raising rates. And um, I said, they're gonna raise rates hard, I told subscribers, and sure enough, they did in a very fast way. Now, I think it could be the opposite. But whatever it is, I mean, that's one side is called predict. The other side is react. So whatever it is, I think they're too chicken to do anything too strong. And if they're too chicken to do anything too strong, um, which has been the case, then uh, meaning like to, they, they have no problem to cause growth. They don't mind being aggressive for that. But to cause a re recession, I don't, I don't, I don't think they're, they're confident enough or willing enough to cause a recession. They're too tied in with the government and Biden, even though they're supposed to be uh, independent. Um, and I think that uh, they'll let inflation run, which it, you know, meaning it'll be always a little too high, but that's fine for markets. And so as long as they're not being aggressive, I think, you know, the markets are showing very soft action, the economy's holding up. Um, you know, there's still a ton of bears out there. And when you have that combination, um, it's good. And I think there's also a chance of disinflation that they're just not catching on to. It just didn't show up in the numbers fully yet. But if you look at the ISM survey services, which they claimed they were so keyed in on, services ISM has started to slow and they didn't say anything about that. And that's, you know, two thirds of the economy is services. So, I mean, Right. I've been telling um, subscribers that there could be a, a potential Goldilocks, which was a term in the 90s when you had growth and low inflation and, every, and productivity. I said, you know, there's a shot at that. And, you know, the data points, you know, slowly, slowly, slowly are leading to that where growth is holding up, uh, inflation's slowly coming down. And if the Fed's not going to get in the way, which I think, you know, so I don't think they are. Then um, you know I'm 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 I've been bullish this year. I'm, I continue to be bullish. And what would you say? What would you have tweaked um, about how the Fed responded to the banks imploding? I think they should have let banks <laughs> implode. And you know they the banks took up took on way too much risk. They were um, you know uh, they were uh, under margin and they were um, mm -hmm. uh, borrowing. Uh, you know. And, and everything was, they were just losing money. Um, and I, I can't believe that bank examiners didn't even see it. Um, but these were small banks. They were not systemic. I don't think they had the, uh, the web of loans that, and, and, and uh, complex instruments that we had uh, in 2008. I don't think, you know, um, uh, these banks were 
were systemic. Nonetheless, if you see, so I think they could have let them fail and it would have been healthy for the economy. You know, you have normal cycles. There's nothing wrong with letting the economy have normal cycles and bad players, you know, fail and then money, uh, you know, the economy slows down by itself and then they don't have to worry about inflation. But what did they do? Um, just like the pension crisis that happened a few months ago in the UK, the government and the Fed, they can't take any pain. So, you know, they can't let the economy be a normal cycle. It's just they don't let it happen. And so what that means is the Fed and, and central banks around the world are a huge backstop for anything that could possibly go wrong, which is just an incredibly bullish building story, if you think about it. I mean, uh, you know, I think all these central banks are way over micromanaging everything and, you know, let let the economy run and they're not and they just they they don't want to let it go down. Um, so, you know, if you think about it, <laughs> that removes a lot of risk for the market. I don't know why everybody's being so bearish. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, you know what you're what you're describing is in disagreement with many um, of the market observers who are like, the Fed had to do that. They had to reassure the markets. The markets would have capitulated. But you don't feel that way. You think that that's a miss. Let them capitulate. Yeah, yeah. You know, let the markets do what they're going to do. Who cares? I mean, seriously, it's a nor what you know, it's it. The unemployment rate is at like three percent. I mean, the economy's fine. And even if the economy was down, so what? You know, that's normal. What the economy always needs to be up. No, they're creating their own problem by by being so involved. You know, the pandemic pandemic reaction created so much liquidity into the market. They themselves caused inflation. Uh, you know, inflation, if you think about it, is just, you know, prices of goods are going up, meaning the currency value to buy those goods is going down. So when they pump and they produce so much currency, it's economics 101. You when you have too much supply of something, the value of it goes down. So the value of it to buy in relation goods was going down. So the price of those goods went up. So, uh, you know, the Fed, it, and, and it's a known thing. I mean, I've been following the Fed for a few decades and it's a known thing. They cause the booms and they cause the bus. And this, this Fed, after the 2008 rediscovery of quantitative easing and tightening has just, you know, uh, exponentialized, if that's a word, <laughs> exponentialized uh, all of this, you know, Fed micromanaging the economy. So here, I mean, there was one period of time where I, I a few months ago, I saw Powell come out of a press conference and, you know, he was just so happy that he didn't have to put people out of work, like he didn't have to be tough. And you saw his emotion with there. And that's the way the government is. I mean, they don't get reelected by, you know, causing uh, people to get out, you know, to lose their jobs. And so if you're running the country, you're Joe Biden, you want to have a talk with the Fed, and the Fed's more powerful with this quantitative easing than they've ever been before, quantitative tightening. more. I think quantitative easing and tightening is more powerful than the rate moves themselves, way more powerful, because it controls the long end of the curve, which is really the 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 market driver, because it, it drives, when, when you do discounted cash flows, you're not basing it on the Fed funds rate, you're basing it on a little bit longer term rate. And that, that um, 
quantitative easing, controlling the long end of the curve is controlling future cash flows, which is really controlling stock prices the most, much more than the, sh the short end of the curve. So if you're the government and you want to get reelected, you tell the Fed, look, we don't, we don't want to cause a harsh recession. So please, you know, if you're going to do things, do things slowly. And that's where central banks around the world are doing. You know, they have a lot of debt. They want to, they want, uh, they want to, you know, allow inflation to run, which, you know, lowers the value of the debt a little bit. So, you know, I just think it's a, it's a very strange cycle that we're in, but it's also a very bullish cycle because as long as the Fed has their back and as long as inflation doesn't get out of control, like hyperinflation, then, and we're in this, you know, four to even seven, 8% inflation, I think it's fine for the markets. And I think that's where, we're, you know, I think there's, if, if that's the case, the markets can do fine. It might be a little more volatile. But, you know, the numbers show that there's a better chance of disinflation right now, which, um, which based on mostly people bearish out there, I think would, would and, the, and the economy holding up, would cause, uh, you know, a continued rally. And actually, I'm more bullish on the back half of this year, because I think that when, if you get disinflation and these rate cuts that the, the CME is projecting and the economy already holding up, um, then the economy can, and, and you have um, also, I think earnings will start to grow in the back half when they start lapping the easy, the, the bad numbers last year. Um, you have a lot of things working for you in the back half. So I just think that the government and the Fed, you know, and the, re the central banks around the world that are all doing things in unison. I mean, it's crazy and so powerful, but they're not going to let things fail. And if they're not going to let things fail, that mo removes a lot of risk. Yeah. And it's something I mean, speaking to 2008, something that we've seen before. So given that macro backdrop, and I know that you're mostly looking at the large cap stocks, how does this affect how you're looking at, at the stocks that you're looking at? Um, well, you know, I'd say the market and the stocks I'm looking at in, in two different pick, two different ways. I mean, I'm trying to find stocks on a bottoms up basis, which is basically what, what can they earn in the next year? And, you know, what's the market paid for a PE? So uh, basically the median PE that the market's paid over the last few years times whatever earnings, I think the trajectory of, uh, of the trends of recent trends can get me to for earnings for the future, then, um, you know, that's my bottoms up way to analyze stocks in a nutshell. I mean, if you're a subscriber, you see, I, you know, have a little bit more detailed model showing you uh, revenues, gross margins, etc. And you can see the flow yourself. So you can buy in to say, wow, you know, NVIDIA is going to be a $400 stock if it just trade, if it, if it continues the current trend and if it just trades at the PE range that it's traded at, you know, I have a lot of conviction that it can trade at four, 400. In fact, um, I think a few months ago, or maybe five, six months ago, I said, if Tesla breaks 200, it's going to 100. And my valuation was below it. And sure enough, it broke 200, went almost straight to, I think, 100 and change. Um, and so that's all based on valuation, based on earnings trends, based on, you know, the income statement. So how I'm looking at the market is one overlay. And then if I can find good stocks that are going to give me on their own bottoms up, uh, you know, 
call it 40%, 12 months upside, then, then I like I would like those stocks. We were talking to Kirk Spano a couple weeks ago, and he was talking about the different sectors that he looks at and some of the different metrics that he uses for different sectors. Is there Are there unique things that you look at depending on what sector you're looking at? Um, well, you know, there is the the answer would be no <laughs> um, in a word and, and i i've been doing this for a long time and i you know followed consumer stocks for a long time retail stocks for a long time industrial stocks for a long time and tech stocks for a long time in different periods of time and each 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 uh group i did nothing different um i just whatever the key um, data point is for the individual company you have to pay attention to because sometimes that could be more important than their earnings like Netflix uh, membership growth is more important than the earnings um, and uh, Tesla I think more important than anything there is auto gross margins so that's what I'm focused on there meta it's uh, da uh, daily active users um, you know DAUs so I mean if you need to know what the key or NVIDIA, it's data center growth. So if you're, you know, because this feeds into the rest of the model and that's like a quick and dirty way for people to have a quick snapshot, especially once the print, once the once uh, a data prints or earnings print, they can have a quick reaction to say, oh, that's, that's the core business. That's going to drive the business for the next, you know, year or two. And so if that key data point goes up or down, uh, then, you know, I have confidence or don't co have confidence based on that. So you have to know what the key data point is for, for each company. Apple, it used to be iPhones, but um, now, you know, I guess, you know, iPhone is a little, is more mature now. So it's less iPhones, but it still matters. Um, so every company does have a key data point. And I guess, you know, I'm really focused on um, the market driver stocks right now in this uh, service. So I'm following Apple, Microsoft, Amazon, Google, Tesla, Meta, NVIDIA um, as the, you know, my main, my main stocks, because I feel like, you know, you have two ways to look at it. Either the market's going to drive them or they're going to drive the market. And so when you see things line up either way, it gives you conviction. So... So can, <laughs> can you get into those stocks a little bit more in depth and, sure. and expand on, on why you like those specifically? Sure. Well, these are the stocks I follow. It's not necessarily that I like them or don't like them. I just, these are the ones I'm focused on. Basically, I, I, I um, touched on it. These are market mover stocks, meaning they're the biggest in the S&P 500 or in the NASDAQ. That's why I'm following them, because I think if you can nail those and understand if there's a trend in one of them or more than one of them, uh, then you have some bottoms up uh, conviction on which way they're going to drive the market. And, you know, when Apple and Microsoft make up, you know, 10, 15% of, of the key indexes, and you can figure out where they're going and Meta and Google add another five, 10%, um, you know, suddenly you have your arms around, even if everybody's bearish and you're bullish on those stocks, then, uh, you know, you have a, diff you have a, a more well-rounded call. Um, so that's why I'm focused on it. I'm also fo uh, following Micron because I think that's the most important stock in the world, <laughs> I tell you, for markets, and uh, people just don't even think about that. Yeah, Micron makes DRAM uh, memory, and memory is in everything tech, NVIDIA or uh, Arista or Cisco or any of these companies, when they sell something, they sell it along, you know, they have to sell things that, with memory because uh, memory is in everything. 
So if you can figure out how Micron's doing, you know how everything else is doing. And if you know how everything else is doing, and these are the main drivers of the market, then you know how the market's going to do. <laughs> so little old Micron, if you can figure out how that's doing, then uh, you can kind of figure out how the market's doing. And uh, it's just been an amazing guy that, and, and nobody's, I, I mean, I'm one guy out of, a, you know, how many players in the market, and I don't think I don't hear anybody talking about that. So I just gave you, gave away one secret, but <laughs> that Micron's really the center of the investing universe because of, you know, what they say and how DRAM's selling and, you know, and, and if DRAM prices are moving up or flat, you know, demand's good. If DRAM prices are moving down, you know, de demand's weak. And so you, you can learn a lot. And if you see the stock going down, it's probably a sign for tech. If you see the stock holding or going up, it's probably a sign for tech. So you just have a great hint right there. It's something very important to the to the tech world and the tech world's very important to the stock market. So what else are you focused on in the, in the tech world and, and the tech stocks? What else are you looking about, looking at or what should investors be thinking about? Okay, well, look, Tesla's topical. They just reported last night and I was bearish. You know, I, was I wasn't bullish, that's for sure. I said that they missed numbers. I've said that there's been risk for the stock uh, all year and last year. Um, I think there was one small period where I was bullish for like a week and, <laughs> and then I stopped being, but um, it, it, Tesla, so I think there's a lot of Tesla bulls that don't have, that aren't really focused on the earnings. They're focused on the robo taxi story. And I think that, you know, autonomy or FSD is constantly getting pushed out. So I, I'm, I'm a believer that they can do it, but time frame is important to the stock market. And so if it keeps getting pushed out, you can't, you can't discount it into the current value as much as people want to. So you're having this big shift and their margins were just really a big miss. Um, we had them going down and we had earnings below the street, but the implication of yesterday's last night's earnings means that earnings need to be way below where the street is sitting right now. And, and uh, one, one major change I noticed from last night is in their analyst days, they said they were cutting costs 50%. And so that's going to drive, you know, they'll be able to lower prices of the cars. But last night, they told a different story. They said it was more demand that forced them to lower the prices for the car. So that's a big change in story. And so uh, Elon Musk, he wants, you know, people to focus on the long term. And I respect that he's he's a genius and you know <laughs> very successful but you know the market focuses in my experience one year out and so if you're not going to get that uh uh conviction in one year out there's more players than you know than not that are that can sell this thing than people that are going to buy into um the autonomy story so i think tesla i've been calling out that it has risk and i think it continues to have risk so i'm happy to talk about that or other stocks whatever you want yeah happy for you to get into tesla i'm just curious um if you're looking at twitter at all given the a lot you know given your elon musk uh uh insight do, is that a stock that you follow also well, Twitter, uh, they went private. He brought them private. I was following it. Um, but I tell you, and, you know, I, I, like a year and a half, two years ago, I stopped following it because they were just so inconsistent. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think I've had like 
three blowups in the in the four or five years of this service, and one of them was was Twitter. And um, you know, I I don't like <laughs> I don't like to lose, and uh, so they just weren't monetizing. And so I see why you know he was able to come in mm. and you know scoop it up without having to pay a big premium. People might, I, and I think he he could turn it around, but um, I think it's also a distraction. Obviously, mm-hmm. I mean, he's human. He's might be <laughs> above the normal human level, but he's human. And so, and he's very excited about Twitter and he's on there all the time. So you can pretty much gauge how, how much he's doing, how much he's working at Tesla yeah. by looking at the inverse of number of tweets he's doing. And so if he's <laughs> tweeting all day, you know, inversely, you know, he's not really, you know, <laughs> make Twitter inverse mechanism. I'd love to hear, and I'm sure investors would as well, hear more about your thoughts about Tesla. So um, here, I'm just going to open my model. But, um, you know, and and we were big bulls for uh, a few years going in, until we got off that train in, I think, November of 2021. So, which was really around the peak of the stock. I don't know. I'm not looking at the chart right the second, but it was around the peak. We were on CNBC and we called that out actually um, uh, saying that, you know, we're stepping off. Um, and the reason was, is because the stock hit our price target. Everybody was raising to our numbers um, but, you know, we thought it was fully valued and I couldn't push my numbers to, uh, you know, I'm just, I'm not, I'm not raising my target price because the stock goes up. I'm raising my target price if my earnings uh, go up because I, I think the market generally wants to pay, you know, what it's paid in the past. So I don't want to, I don't want to make a guess on what it's, you know, it's going to pay more if, if the stock's up. I want to, you know, try to stay disciplined on that. So, but, and my earnings times the PE got me to the stock price and, and my subscribers know, I mean, I had crazy figures for stock prices when it was way down, when it was much lower. I, you know, I forgot the numbers, but like my numbers were insane, higher uh, target prices, uh, you know, two, three years ago. And, and, and I, I, I mean, I had subscribers like, oh, making bets if it's going to make it there. And it kept, you know, it kept doing it. I had, you know. And just because of simple PE times EPS, running a simple model to tell you, you know, if revenue, if deliveries flow this way, the ISPs flow this way, gross margins keep flowing the same trajectory, you know, and you figure out the OPEX and you can, you, you can simply figure out where the earnings are going to go before the company even knows where the earnings are going to go just by seeing the trajectory. And I do that for all my companies. But right now, and I've been saying this all year, and for the first time, since I've been following it this year, my EPS number is below the street. And uh, before this earnings, I was like a dollar below the street. And now I'm like two, three dollars below the street. Um, And that's just doing the same thing. I mean, last quarter, um, you know, people are all trying to make excuses why to like the company, but you have to look at the, you know, you have to be unbiased a little bit and say, what's driving the company. And what's driving the company before this quarter, 90% of their margins were from 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 cars and so that 90% that margin dropped 800 basis points this quarter so there's no there's no way to sugarcoat that and if you have a drop like that this quarter and and the company's saying because of demand then you know you don't have any visibility for that trend to change and so you have to model it, model it out. And I don't have as bad of a gross margin drop 
uh, next quarter, because if you do, you know, in two, three quarters, they're going to be uh, break even, which, you know, I don't think they're going to get to that. But, you know, so if you think about it, um, they said that their orders were higher than production, but I think their orders were higher than production because they had to drop prices so much. And if they didn't drop prices so much, then they'd be in an efficiency in a, in a, in an efficiency problem. They'd be inefficient because they're they have so much new production. They have to fill it. Otherwise, you have fixed costs that start building up and and start really hurting the cost of goods sold. So uh, per car. So they were sort of forced, and that's why Musk has been complaining so much about the Fed, why he's raising rates, is because he's getting hurt and his business is getting hurt. You know, I think they have a lot of amazing things. I think they've created an amazing vehicle. I think they do have potential um, in the energy business, and they do have potential with batteries and 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 uh, you know, there's and hope, hopefully autonomy. I mean, the vision's there. <laughs> um, they just haven't, you know cross that final mile yet. Um, but in the meantime, stocks trade on earnings. And, um, you know, so I'm just disciplined to that. And so I think that there's still much more risk to, here for the stock. Any other stocks in that sector or stocks that you would encourage investors to be looking at or the opposite, encourage investors to maybe take another look at? So, well, I would say that Tesla is the best in the car industry. I don't think anybody would disagree with me. Maybe they would, but not many. Most would agree with me. And if the leader in the industry is dropping prices big time, then the rest of the industry has a problem. So, I mean, I, they were asked on the call and I actually uh, said it in, in chat um, before that question came out, but I said, I bet they're trying to, you know, put companies out of business, but they can't say that because they'd have a, a monop monopoly issue or FTC issue that, you know, you're not allowed to drop prices to uh, finish your competition. Um, and they were asked that question. They were like, oh, no, we want to help our competition. <laughs> we want to help them. Of course. Of course, you want to help your competition. Of course. I, I don't buy it fully. <laughs> it's a nice idea. But I think, you know, there's something to it. I think it was a good question on the call that, you know, they have a shot. Well, I think they're really, really reacting to demand, which is which is a tougher story. Um, but if I think um, as, a, as a side effect, I think they are going to wipe out competition, especially some of these uh, newer players that just don't have production up yet. And, uh, you know, people aren't going to be able to get funding. And so that but that's not a good story for Tesla in the next six to 12 months or six to nine months. But maybe longer term, definitely, if, you know, they wipe out competition. I don't think anybody can compete with them. I think, you know, they really had the right focus on, you know, the production um, and, and, you know, making uh, production efficient. But right now, based on demand, they have too much production. Otherwise, the margins wouldn't be dropping off a cliff right now. And what about stocks in the, uh, in the tech sector? Anything else that investors would be wise to be looking at or thinking about there? I just upgraded NVIDIA. And I really, you know, <laughs> I was thinking out loud to subscribers the day before I upgraded. I was like, you know, this AI story, um, it might be some hype, but I don't think it, the hype is really in the market yet. And I said, it can really be like the internet story of the 90s or dot-com story of the 90s. So, and in the beginning of that story, it really helped uh, the idea of productivity. And there was benefits in productivity, meaning 
you could get more labor at a cheaper cost and you can you can you can produce more at cheaper costs and that helps inflation it's really productivity is is a is part of the goldilocks that drove drove the markets in the 90s and so ai is one of those potential game changers um, right now i don't think anybody really knows you know the potential of it or the dangers of it or maybe they do know but it, i don't think it's really uh it's really in its early early innings and so i think if there's um an a if an ai productivity stock market boom story like like you had in dot com and i very easily can see how that can materialize over the next you know six to nine twelve months um, and it could be more, it could be a broader based, you know, everybody saying we're doing AI, right? And we're not there yet. And I, NVIDIA is at the center of that. And they said, you know, and I, it's one of my favorite words in the industry for, you know, 20, 30 years is when you hear a company say inflection point and companies are a little on to me on that, you know, they, they know that's my favorite word. So they try to say it, right? Chaim's going to like if I say inflection. So the CEO said, you know, AI is at an inflection for them. So he knew he'd get to me and be like, ah, oh, Chaim, we like that. But, um, but that's, I believe him that AI is obviously at an inflection. And I think it's not so big in a lot of companies' numbers, but it will be bigger. So um, NVIDIA is, I think, you know, been an AI leader. They've been talking about AI for years. And, you know, they had a trip up with, uh, with their gaming business in the last quarter. Um, but they said very good things about their you know, new main business used to be gaming, but their new main business is data center and data center, they said is going to accelerate next quarter and accelerate all year. And when you model acceleration on acceleration, you start to get big numbers. And so I, you know, listen to what companies say and uh, I try to model what they're saying. And, you know, my model gets me to much higher numbers than the street has for next year when you take their biggest business that's accelerating. I mean, look at that in relation to, and look at the stock price, it's going up, Tesla's going down. Their main business is decelerating and Nvidia's main business is accelerating. And so, you know, I I, I try to gear, my, I don't try to, I think uh, it's my nature, but my service is geared for beginners and pros because pros will respect what I just said and beginners will learn a lot to see, wait, it's not so difficult to try to pick good stocks because you just have to say what's their main business or what's the main business or two and you know what percentage of it is is it of the company's revenues and margins and is it accelerating or decelerating and and you know my customers have and subscribers have seen that when i catch a company that's slowing their revenue growth then i say you know even though stocks going up i say you got to watch out and sure enough you know because they're slowing then you know there's a problem next quarter with earnings or something wasn't quite right and the stock starts trending down so nvidia is, is the opposite of that that ai i think is early on and data center i think was already accelerating for them um and and uh, ai is going to just be like added growth um growth points on that main business. I, I really appreciate your point, how the fact that it's for newbies and more veteran investors, because I, I think that really speaks to really solid analysis, that it can speak to people that are just starting out and people that also have a lot more experience. Any Anything else that you would guide in investors towards at this point? Well, I, I think that, um, 
you know, I've, I, I said it before, and I think people just need to be honest with themselves and say, are we not, do we not, uh, do we think we're going in a recession, but <laughs> are we going in a recession? That's, that's a difference. So, and, and is it going to be a hard recession? And I think if you're honest with yourself, you, you would have seen that all the time they've been worried about a recession, it hasn't materialized. And, um, and when the data keeps holding up, then it's tough to say how we're going into a recession. And then uh, if even if you start to hit negative numbers, you know, the Fed's going to do a big uh, reversal, you know, because they can't take any pain. So I, I think um, that it's a little bit of a balancing act. But um, and I would also point out something amazing that, um, you know, I care about market action, which means how do stocks react to news? So if it's bad news, does it go down? If it's good news, does it go up? Right. And I would say that there's been much more bearishness or bearishness. Is, there has been a lot of bearishness. It's picked up lately and the market is not budging. And I think that's an incredible, incredible call out for market action, which, you know, people may or may not look at. Um, but it's a, it. What it means is the market should be going down on all of this concern, and it's not, what am I missing? That's what people need to ask themselves. Why is the market holding up? What am I missing? And I think what, what, uh, what I think most people are missing is that we just had, had a once in a, generate, once in a lifetime uh, pandemic, and we're now in a once in a lifetime you know, back to normal from that pandemic. And that back to normal is an incredibly huge force in the economy that, you know, so as much as you would normally think we should be in a recession or, you know, whatever data points would drive a recession, you know, you have people just, you know, kind of getting back out of their homes and everybody getting back out of their homes around the world. And so that is a big push or a big support that whatever recession you're worried about, I think will be much less. And, you know, layer on top of that, a Fed and a government that can't take any pain, you know, will definitely support that. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the investing group that you run is called Fed Trader on Seeking Alpha. If uh, yeah. investors like what they heard yeah. here, check out Fed Trader. Anything <laughs> else? And Chaim, I really appreciate this conversation. I think it was a really nice deep dive into how you're looking and thinking about the market. And I think a lot of sage advice for, for the investing community. Anything that you would like to share before we leave today and, and uh, begin and, and look forward to the next conversation? Sure. Well, I, I do, you know, you, you called my uh, service Fed Trader. So I guess I should talk about that. Fed, I call it Fed Trader because I think the Fed with their humongous balance sheet right now is like the, the most important thing. And so if earnings are bad or earnings are good or the economy is bad or the economy is good, is a little bit secondary to what the Fed's going to do. And because the Fed is... You know, either providing liquidity or taking it away liquidity, and because they're so big now with with their balance sheet, that it's it's become more important than anything. So um, I've kind of uh, narrowed down the focus to the main market mover stocks and the Fed in this service, and um, I'm trying to tell you what the market's going to do tomorrow, and the next week, and the next month. And we didn't talk about Bitcoin, but we're also Bitcoin. I'm telling you, is has 
they don't do anything. Bitcoin, there's no, there's no benefit to Bitcoin, but if you're a trader and you follow the Fed, the Bitcoin trades exactly on the Fed's moves at, you know, to a T. When there were cutting rates, Bitcoin was flying. When there was raising rates, Bitcoin was dropping. When the Fed stalls, Bitcoin gets a little breather. And I think everybody, you know, I, most of the people even trading Bitcoin or being in Bitcoin don't even know that the main driver is the Fed. And so if you can, so that's like a big edge. So if you can start following the edge and sorry, sorry, if you can start following the Fed when you're trading Bitcoin and say, wow, the Fed's the main driver to Bitcoin uh, besides technicals, but you know, the Fed's driving those technicals, then wow, you have a big edge over the market and everybody else trading it. So we're following also um, gold, uh, which I've been bullish on. Uh, oil, which has been a little bit tough because it's just been sideways, sideways, sideways. Um, what else? We follow bonds. I think uh, you know those are uh, um, uh, those are the main instruments we're following, and uh, and everything is you know the main driver is the Fed, and the other stuff, even though it's so important, is a little bit more secondary. So that's why I decided to call this Fed trader. Well, I think there's so much good advice to be gained here, and I think especially in volatile markets and volatile times that we're seeing in the world right now, I think it very much pays to have a plan. So I think that's what we're speaking to here, and it could afford, afford investors a, a lot of uh, yeah. benefit.